I think death isn't something that we think about a lot. You know, I, for most of us in here, um, we are in kind of the prime of our lives. Like we are in, uh, you know, 20s, 30s, 40s. Like that, none of us is really uh, kind of in the, in the twilight of our lives. Uh, we are in, we're kind of discovering ourselves, our abilities, our careers. We're tapping into them. We're, we're in our physical primes kind of for most of us still. You know, we can run and we can, we can jump and we have all of our mental faculties. Like we can learn things and we can speak clearly and we can remember everything in our lives. Like there isn't really anything. We don't feel really the weight of uh, deterioration the deterioration of our, our bodies or our minds because we are still pretty, pretty sharp and pretty able. Um, so death isn't really something I think that crosses our minds a lot. Generally speaking, that's not something that, that really weighs on us. And yet death is an inevitable thing, something that we know catches up with everyone. It's something that's always looming over us. And even though it's not at the forefront of our minds, it's not something that we actively think about probably almost ever unless we're, we go to like a funeral or something or unless some of these things happen, like there is some kind of shooting, there is some kind of tragedy. Even though it's not there, uh, really in, in, in the in the back of our minds, in the depth of our hearts, it governs a lot of what we do, right? The desire to not die, the desire to survive, governs a lot of our have-tos, right? It's why we have to eat. It's why you have to sleep. It's why you have to work. It's why you have to do a lot of the things that you have to do because you want to survive. That's a normal thing, right? It's one of our basest instincts as living things, survival. The looming threat of death is always over us whether we acknowledge it or not, whether we're thinking about it actively or not. And that's actually what makes uh, the I am statement that we're going to look about, that we're going to look at today that much more, I think, relevant to us. Right. If you're just joining us, you know we've been in a series looking at the I am statements of the book of John. Um, you know We've looked at Jesus saying, I'm the bread of life. I'm the one who, who gives life. You have to feed on my flesh, right? drink my blood. It was this kind of intimate interaction that we have to have with Jesus, you know, particularly through his word. That, that's, that's where our satisfaction comes from. Remember, uh, why do you labor for the food that does not satisfy? Why do you work for the food that does not satisfy, that, that perishes? And he said, don't do that. Instead, work for the food that endures to eternal life. We looked at Jesus saying, I'm the light of the world, how he reveals light and darkness, good and evil. We looked, uh, we looked at Jesus saying, I'm the door, right? I'm the only door. I'm the only way. And I'm the good shepherd for us, for his people. Um, kind of dumb sheep, right? Jesus is our loving good shepherd who leads us and guides us and teaches us things. 
And today we're going to look at, he's going to say, I am the resurrection and the life. I'm going to look at, you know, what exactly does that mean? Uh, I think it, it, it means a few things for us. But uh, we'll, we'll go through the text first, and then we'll look at kind of these three things that it means for us. I think it changes some thoughts that we have and some things that we think. So if you guys have your Bibles, why don't we go ahead and open them up to the book of uh, John, John chapter 11. John chapter 11, we're going to start in verse uh, 17. This is the book of John, John, uh, the gospel of John chapter 11. We're going to start in verse 17. And uh, we'll read all the way through verse 46. It's kind of a long passage, but it's all one, you know, one big story. And so we'll, we'll take it piece by piece. This is John chapter 11, verse 17. This is God's word. And it says, Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. Many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. So let's, let's stop right there for a second. What's happening, and some of it is explained in the first part of chapter 11, but uh, Mary and Martha, right, people that, that, that Jesus knows, uh, Mary is notably the one who, who kind of uh, anoints Jesus with the, the perfume which is noted in John. But um, in this story, in the early part of John, Mary and Martha send word to Jesus who's somewhere else, and they say, hey, uh, our brother Lazarus is dying and uh, Jesus receives that message, but doesn't immediately come. And so he comes a little bit later. It says he waits a couple days. He comes later. And by the time he's come to Mary and Martha's house, Lazarus has already died. Okay, so when he comes, uh, Martha, it says, was the one who sees him coming and she actually leaves the house to go greet him. Now, this was, this was actually a sign of honor for Jesus that he was a guest, but it was against kind of the religious protocol of the time. The, the protocol would be just to stay in your house and let people come to you because Jews are coming from all around. Whenever somebody would die, people would come from around and they would come and visit the house to, you know, offer their condolences, right? It's called a shiva, so they would do this for seven days. And, and so what, what's happening is uh, Martha is the one, and if you kind of know Mary and Martha, Martha is typically the one who's kind of like the rules person, right? Like she wants to follow the protocols, the religious protocols. You know, she was the, she's the one in Luke who when Jesus is coming and, and Mary's just kind of sitting at her feet, uh, sitting at Jesus' feet and listening to him talk. Martha is the one who's kind of like, you know, Jesus, tell my sister to help me, right? Because I got I to gotta, like take care of this stuff. She's kind of known as the servant of the two. And yet in this case, Martha's the one who kind of breaks religious protocol, and it's significant only in that something really significant has happened. Their, their brother di- has died. Right? Their brother's dead. And so this is really kind of a, a hard thing. And you can see how it's affecting them. Now, as soon as, as, soon as uh, Jesus comes, right, Martha says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Right? It kind of speaks to this, this phrase. I think it's something that we think a lot of times. A lot of the time, like this kind of if only, right? Like, ah, if only, 
You know, if only this hadn't happened or that hadn't happened, if only I didn't say this or if I did that or if I, if only I had been a little bit different, if only something in my life, if, if some road broke in a certain way, if only I had told them. Right? And so Martha, she kind of speaks this, this regret to Jesus. If only, right? if you had been here, if you had just been here, I wish, I wish you got here in time. My brother would not have died. And then uh, verse 22, she says, but even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Now, that sounds like faith. Even now I know, but I know God will give you whatever you ask. But what's revealed in the, in the following, when we'll read it, is that it's not really faith. What Martha's saying, she's saying something. And I think even probably she wants to believe it. But what's revealed is she doesn't really believe it. Right? So what she's kind of spitting out here is like a religious platitude. It's one of those things that we say. It's kind of like when we pray and we don't really think something's going to happen. But then you say, but God, you know, uh, if you will, like it'll, I guess it'll ha- it could happen, you know. She's just kind of saying it. Like, I know, I know you could do anything. I know even now you could do something. And Jesus says, your brother will rise again. Now, if you know the story of Lazarus, spoiler warning, he's going to rise again, right? He's going to be resurrected. Lazarus comes out of the tomb. But, so Jesus is speaking quite literally here. He's just saying, hey, your brother's going to rise again. He's like, like right now, like in like, in like five minutes. But, uh, Martha, she, she kind of takes it as talking about the resurrection, right? Like, yeah, someday. I know, I know. The last day, he's going to come back. So let, let's read on. Okay. Let's read on here. Um, verse 25, it says, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Now, there's, there's the I am, right? What is today's I am? I am the resurrection and the life. So she says, I know someday, I know on the last day there's going to be a resurrection. And Jesus says, no, 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 I'm the resurrection. I'm the resurrection and the life. Now, let's read on. Verse 28, it says, when she had said that... Um, When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. So this is outside the village. Again, they're not supposed to leave, but Mary leaves. She comes all the way back. uh, I'm sorry, Martha leaves. She comes all the way back. She gets Mary. She says, go meet Jesus. And now Mary comes out to meet Jesus. Uh, Verse 31, it says, When the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And in verse 35, Jesus wept. It's one of the shortest verses in the Bible. It's notable because it talks about Jesus actually uh, weeping. There are only a, a couple instances of this in the Gospels. Now, 
when Mary comes to see Jesus, she says the same thing, right? She says, ah, oh, if you had been here, if only. And she expresses that kind of regret. And Jesus sees her crying. You know, she's crying and she's broken down. Mary is probably the more emotional of the two sisters. We, that's kind of what we see in Scripture. That's the picture that's painted. And she's like, you know, she falls down at his feet. She's crying, and a bunch of the people who were um, at the house, who are also sad, obviously, they're all crying. Now, there's some, there's some question as to, okay, what's happening here? What do these words mean? Like, deeply moved and greatly troubled, and was Jesus mad? Was Jesus sad? Like, what's kind of happening? Now, I think Jesus is sad. Now, I used to read this passage, and I was kind of like, I don't get it, though. Like, why is Jesus crying? Because he knows he's going to go to the tomb, right? Like in a second. Like it's just about to, like in one second, in one minute, they're going to go to the tomb. And Jesus is just going to say, hey, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus is just going to get up and come out. So why is Jesus crying? Right? Like, like what is that about? Well, we'll talk about that in a second. That's a, that's a tease. Okay. Uh, verse 36. Let's read on. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? So now other people are kind of like, yeah, but I don't get it. Why didn't he, like, why didn't he just heal him? Uh, Verse 38 says, then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he's been dead four days. Okay, now, remember, Martha, just a second ago, she said, Jesus, I know you can do anything. And Jesus says, move this stone. And she's like, oh, but it's going to be kind of smelly, right? He's been in there a while. It's been, he's been dead four days. And, and in, you know, Jewish law at this time, uh, the kind of religious practice was to bury them immediately. So he's, he's been dead for four days. He's been buried for four days. Verse 40, here's the, the conclusion of our passage. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So this is a a mild rebuke, right? But Jesus is saying, didn't I say you'd see the glory of God? Like, why aren't you doing what I I asked? Like, move the stone, right? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to him, unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. You know what's crazy about this? You know what's crazy about this passage? is that Jesus just goes up and just says, Lazarus, come out. Right? Like if, if, if God appeared to you and said, I'm going to give you a power, a special power, and here is your special power. You can bring people back from the dead. Right? Like, I don't know about you, but the way I would do it would probably be different than the way Jesus does it here. 
I would be, I would like make a big scene. You know what I mean? Like I would be like, okay, you know, gather around, like everybody come around, witness what is about to happen here, you know, for the glory of God or whatever, you know, whatever. Like I would just gather a bunch of people, right? Like I would have a huge, and I would do some kind of motions or something. Like I would create a ceremony out of it. I would just do some kind of like what I imagine this, this, what would activate this power. You know, therefore, I call you out in the name of Jesus. You know, like, I would do, like, a long thing to have people really, like, this is, a, this is crazy. Somebody is coming back from the dead. And, and the way Jesus does it is, Lazarus, come out. That's it. That's the whole thing. And you know what it, you know what it shows me? Like, this, this is not a big deal to Jesus. It's a big deal to the people who are watching. It's a big deal to the people who are witnessing it. This is not a big deal to Jesus. This is nothing. Like, that's, that, this is how much power Jesus has. I can't get my kid to come to me this easily, right? I can't say, Micah, come out. Like, it's, that, it's too hard. That, that's too much of a barrier for, for, for me to get my kid to come. For Jesus, even death is not a barrier. It's nothing. Three things, okay? Three things that we can take away from this passage. What does it mean that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? When he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Three things, okay? He turns every if only into this too. He turns every if only into this too. Here's what I here's what I mean. Right? Mary and Martha understandably upset to open the story. The brother has died. They sent to Jesus. Jesus didn't come in time. From their from their perspective, he didn't come in time. He's late. And they start this story. In fact, everyone starts this story thinking, if only, if only he had come. Couldn't this guy have done something about this? Couldn't this have gone? differently and now it's too late he's dead he's been in the tomb for four days what is what is there to do if only it's it's just regret it's just sorrow about the past about what happened and about what could have been now jesus turns that though he turns it He turns it from, if only you had come in time to this too, even death, will be turned to the glory of God. Even death, even our sorrow. Why does does Jesus weep? Why does Jesus weep? Because the sorrow is real. Yeah, he knows that he's going to come back from the dead, but that doesn't take away their grief. Right? It doesn't take away their pain. It doesn't take away what they've experienced for the past four days. It doesn't take away them standing there in front of Jesus, crying their eyeballs out. Jesus is going to say, hey, psh, chill out. Right? He's, he's going to come out. No, he cries with them. He weeps with them. Even knowing that this will be turned. See, we have a bunch of if only in our hearts. Right? There's a there's a bunch of things where we think, if only things were different, God. 
Like, if only you had been there, if only, you know, my dad were a different guy or, or my mom were different, if only they were present, if only my, my life hadn't gone this way, if only I never, at the, the first time, right, if only I had never, if only I had said no, if only I were stronger or better or smarter, if only that had never happened, right? And so we bury it like it never happened, like we want to forget it. We try to shush it or ignore it. We try, to, we try to unhappen it. And Jesus doesn't unhappen things. Why did Jesus let Lazarus die? It was his intention. He waited two days. Why did he let Lazarus die? Why did he do it this way? Couldn't Jesus have, as soon as he heard that Lazarus was sick, he could have just, boom, right? Healed him right there. No drama, no sadness, no sorrow, no pain. Just instantly healed. Couldn't Jesus have granted Lazarus some kind of uh, uh, invulnerability, right? Like in a video game, like give him some kind of God mode, just like, boom, right, right there. And now nothing can harm him. He'll never die. He could have, but he didn't. He let Lazarus die because he wanted them to know. He wanted Mary to know. He wanted Martha to know. He wanted everyone present to know. And he wanted everyone who would ever read this to know that Jesus doesn't unhappen things, but everything that has happened to you and everything that you have caused to happen, he turns. He has turned. He will turn to his glory and to your benefit. Everything. Every sin. Everything you're ashamed of. Everything you have pain in your heart about. Everything you're, every hurt. Every, every abuse. Whether you were the abused or the abuser. Paul's greatest sins, you know, the Apostle Paul, his greatest rebellion, that was the power of his testimony. When he stepped up and he said, I was the worst. I was the worst. I murdered people. Right? I, I was the one giving approval to people when the first martyr, the first Christian martyr, Stephen, was being martyred, when he was being killed, I was the one standing there giving approval. I was chasing Christians down. Because I wanted to kill them. Paul didn't hide that. He didn't bury that. He didn't try to forget it. He always remembered it. That was the power of the grace of Jesus in his life. And that was the power of the grace of Jesus to every single person that he told that story to. He said, it's not me. I'm, I, I was the worst. In fact, he, when he speaks about his sin, he speaks in present tense. He says, I'm the chief of all sinners. And that's the glory of Jesus. He won't unhappen your grief or your shame or your pain, but rest assured, he will, he will turn it. He is the resurrection and the life. He turns every, if only, into this too, now serves his glory and my good. That's the first point. Here's the second one. 
He turns, I know you could, into I know you will. See, Mary's, I mean, excuse me, Martha's faith, Martha's faith in Jesus at this point, before she sees that, right? Martha's faith is hypothetical. This is the kind of faith that a lot of us have. It's like, I know you could, Jesus. I know you could, God. If you wanted to, you could. You could do a lot of things. And it exists in some ethereal plane. It's, it's somewhere in our brains, right? It's somewhere out there. Like, yes, Jesus can do. He could do. God could do anything. He could turn that guy's heart. He could save those people. He could change my story. He could. But God doesn't operate in hypotheticals. Everything God desires to do, he does. There's no hypothetical with God. There's no maybe with God. He does. He has. Right? As I said, this, this that God does, right? It's not this miracle of Jesus. It's not like Jesus came he was late, right? He got, he got delayed because the boats weren't running on time or something like that. Or he, he stopped by somewhere. He forgot what was happening. No, and he wasn't standing at the tomb like, I don't know, everyone's sad, right? Like, like maybe, I should, maybe I should resurrect Lazarus, right? Like, ah, everyone's crying. I feel bad now. Right, like, don't misread what's happening, you know, when he's moved in spirit. It's not like he, was, he wasn't going to do it. And then he goes there, and he sees them, and he's like, you know what? I'll just do it. I'll just, I'm only supposed to save the resurrection for me, you know, after the cross. But I'll just do it. i give him a little taste right now. Like, why not? You know, I'll flex a little bit. You know, Lazarus, come out here. No, it's planned. Right? This is the beginning of, of, this is the beginning of uh, John 11. It says, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Ma- Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. So they, they sent him to him. They're like, hey, we got to find Jesus. Lazarus is sick. Verse 4. But when Jesus heard it, He said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. See, from the beginning, he knew he had a plan. He had a purpose. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Can you, can you, like, let's read that again. Okay, verse 5. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So, because he loved them, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Because he loved them, he let Lazarus die. It wasn't an accident. It's not a maybe. It's not a hypothetical. Because he loved them, he deliberately let that happen. Then after, and actually in Greek, then after is redundant. That's two words. It's like then, then, or after, after. Because they want to make it clear that it was only un- until after they waited, they decided to go back. 
Jesus deliberately waited until Lazarus died, and not only died, he died and he was sitting there in the grave for a few days. In verse, a little bit later in verse 14, it's not up there, but it says, Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. God's not about could. In fact, know this, for if you're a believer, okay, God's not about potential. God's not about even results. God is about I am. Not I could. Not I might. It's I am. Our relationship with God is not about who we will become. It's not about what, what, what God can do in you, like what he's going to make you into, how you're going to change the world, how he's going to even, even what he's going to do in you, like how he's going to sanctify you and make you better, make you a better person, make you more patient, make you more loving, make you the t- kind of person that other people look up to. Now, God, he will do those things. But that's not what it's about. Our relationship with God is simply about knowing, discovering, and diving deep into who he is. For he is. It's not, his plan doesn't need adjusting. The the resurrection reminds us that, you know, Jesus being the resurrection and the life reminds us that God's not about what he could do. In fact, he's, he's already doing something. And this speaks to the last one. This is the, this is the third thing. Okay. He changes. He changes someday into today. He changes someday into today. See, Martha, she espouses this, this notion. This notion that's very powerful to us. It's a notion of we, we let it dictate a lot of our joy and our disappointment. And it's, just, it's all just packaged in this word, someday. Someday. Right? It has a lot to do with what we think about our own success and failure. Someday. Because he says, your brother will rise again. And she says, I know, someday he will. The last day. Whenever that day is, someday down the line, someday at the resurrection, this is going to happen. As Christians, we think that too a lot of times. Like someday, there's a someday out there far, far, far away when things will be good. But that day is not today. And Jesus says, watch this. And she says, yeah, someday. And he says, no, 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 today. Today. I'm the resurrection and the life, and I'm standing right here in front of you. See, the, the resurrection's not, it's not a time. It's not a place. It's not somewhere, someday. It's some person, Jesus Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Do you know me? Then you know the resurrection. You know life. Um, 
He wants us to discover all the joy and all the power of that, of him, today. I, uh, I heard another pastor talk about, well, he, I heard him say this. Um, he said, when you're stuck in the past or stuck in the future, you hollow out the present. You hollow out the now. Right? When you're stuck in the past or stuck in the future, you hollow out the now. Let me give you a, 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 a small example of how we do this. Okay, and I was, we were, after Bible study, some of us the other day, we like went out, we were having lunch, and we were talking about this. But like, kind of like what social media does to us. And I, I, this has happened to me without me really even kind of recognizing it. But all of a sudden, nowadays, I realize that I'll be doing something that's like fun. You know, I'll, I'll go to the beach or something, right? And what will happen is <laughs> in the midst of me enjoying myself, this thought will occur to me that I have to capture this moment, right? Like I have to capture this moment and I have, to, I, have to, I have to take a picture. It has to be a good picture and I have to post it to social media within a reasonable amount of time from right now. So either right now or sometime later today or maybe tomorrow, but you know, and then you go a little past, it's kind of stretching it. It's like I've kind of missed the window and now it's too late, right? And we were, we were talking about this, that this is kind of just something that is... It's like a part of our lives now. I feel like it's just a reality that we face. And I, when you really think about it, it's totally ridiculous, right? Like, why am I thinking about what I'm going to do later to remember right now instead of just enjoying right now? See, you don't, you don't even, like, you're like, does that make sense? Let me ask you something, okay? Would you rather, would you rather be able to look at pictures of Paris, or go to Paris? Well, you'd rather go, right? <laughs> like, but wouldn't it be weird if when you were there, you were thinking about the pictures? If I told you, you could get all the pictures of Paris that you wanted, but you could never go there, or you could go there for free, all expenses paid, but while you're there, you can take no pictures. Which would you choose? And some of you are like thinking about it. You're like, oh, no pictures though? Like none at all? No pictures, okay? Now just think about it for a second. If you were there and you could not take any pictures, what would you be doing the whole time? Knowing you could not take a single picture. Knowing that the only way for you to carry a memory of this moment back home is it's in, it's in here. It's in your brain. Wouldn't you soak it up? Like, wouldn't it be a little bit different? Like, you're driving around in a cab. Wouldn't you think, well, I better pay attention to everything I'm seeing right now because I may never see this again. And I can't take any pictures, so I can't look at it again. Like, I really have to enjoy this right now. Well, don't, don't you think you would check a few less scores, a little less news, right? Because you think, I could do this anytime. The news isn't going to change. I could get back in a week. The news that has happened will still have happened, and I will not have affected it by my knowing or not knowing. But me being here right now, this is the only time I can do that. And you're thinking, yeah, if you couldn't take any pictures, you would live your life differently. You would live in the now. You wouldn't be living now, thinking about later, thinking about now. So I have news for you. 
You're in the now, right now. You can never get this back, this moment, right now. It will never return. Today will never return. You have only today to live today. You can find a picture about today. You can take a picture right now. But let me tell you something. Looking at the picture will never change the events of today. He is the resurrection and the life. Hope and joy don't exist in some time or some space. They're not stuck in your carefree childhood or your high school group of friends or your college roommates or your old job or your new job. They're not waiting for you in your potential career or your future family or the dream house that you don't have that you wish you had or the car or your final legacy or even in heaven. Hope and joy are not limited to heaven. Hope and joy reside in Jesus. They reside in someone, the someone, Jesus Christ. He is the resurrection and the life. He is hope. He is joy. He is victory. He changes all of our some days into todays. So I have a very simple application that is to enjoy him today, to worship him today, to enjoy the community he's placed you in, the blessings he's poured out on you, the work he's given you to do, the people he's called you to reach, the life he's afforded you to live. Enjoy that today. Let's pray together. Jesus, you are the resurrection and the life. Father, we ask that you would impress upon our hearts, God, what that means. We don't want to be a people that is stuck in the past or stuck in the future. God, we want to understand that you have changed all of our past, God, for your glory. You've turned it. You've transformed it. That, that each part that we don't yet understand how you've done that, God, because I know that there are pieces of our past that still hurt. We pray and we ask, God, that as you sit there and weep with us, we would witness you resurrecting it, God, pulling it out from the dead, out of the tomb, into life. You're not about coulds, God. You're about who you are and what you do. We just pray and we ask, God, give us just the strength and the courage and the fortitude, Lord, to look on you today and to worship you to enjoy you and to believe on you. That's what we pray and we ask. We entrust it to your hands. We thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.